Welcome all of you that have joined us wherever you're at around the world. We are live. Let's stand to our feet. It's time to praise and worship the Lord in this house. Amen. It's the day the Lord's made and we will rejoice. We're going to, we intend to rejoice. Praise is uh, one of our weapons of warfare. That's why the walls came down. So if you've got some walls in your life, I know somebody who can bring them down. Amen. His name is the Holy Spirit. The psalmist said, praise the Lord and praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. Amen. All right, let's try that again. (laughs) Is anybody in here the servant of the Lord? Amen. All right, we're going to try it again. Thank God for do-overs. Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, and praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. Who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure, and you and I have been grafted in. Can you say amen to that? For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Little g. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth in the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of His treasures. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He made them accountable. And the Bible says many of the Egyptians believed because of what God done. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. And he's going to do that again, might I say. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of the Canaan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God some praise. He's worthy. (laughs) Children's church is dismissed. They have a nursery over next door as well. And... uh, when I said we want all the walls to come down except for those new ones we put up out there this last week. We don't want those to come down. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, there's going to be a resurrection. Anybody tells you differently, they're lying to you. There's going to be a resurrection. And that's good news, amen? The Bible says gospel, eugelion is the Greek word for gospel. It means Good news with a reward. And what better reward can we have to be resurrected to live forever? It's a good reward. Amen. It's the greatest reward we have waiting on us. God has certainly blessed us with many things. He has great things in store for us on the other side. And we should be excited about that. As we lose more and more things to be excited about down here, we should make sure that we keep our focus on there's going to be a day coming. Amen. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered in the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who love Him, but He has revealed them to us by His Spirit. Man, we got a lot to look forward to. There's going to be a resurrection someday, and I want to start by talking about that resurrection with you. I want to talk about Jesus, and then we're going to get into the fullness of what that means. Now, I can't detail everything we're going to run across today, but we will detail it this fall as we get into the book of Revelation. 
But let's look at uh, John chapter 11. I want to take you to John chapter 11 first, uh, verse 20. In John, St. John, the Gospel of John, not the Epistle, chapter 11. Uh, and I want to show you something that's said here. John chapter 11, verse 20. Now this is a familiar passage to us. But I want, to know, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says here in his response. You've heard it before. In verse 20 it says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had that much confidence that he was who he said he was. And she's going to affirm that again just in a minute. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God... God will give it you. And Jesus transferred that to us. You know that? Whatsoever things you ask in my name, you shall if you believe, you shall receive. Now faith, we know about, we know around here because I've uh, aggravated the fire out of you all with it. <clears throat> but we know the word in the New Testament is pisteo. It's the Greek word that under her, under, undergirds all belief or believing and faith. And it's the Greek word pisteo, and it is a verb. Verbs do what? They have action, right? So your faith is not just some mental belief. If all you got is mental belief and you don't act on your faith, faith without works, James said, is what? Dead. All right. So true faith is active. It has action toward God. So faith comes this way. What the mind has seen and the Spirit has come in agreement with, we hang our body on that. We live it out. That's what faith is. That's faith in action. So whatever we believe. So I want to tell you right now, and I want the whole world to hear this. Uh, uh, we're still trying to figure out what's wrong with a couple of states. But 46 states or 48, whatever it is, and the rest of the world is going to hear this. I believe in a resurrection. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Not only proven in the text of your Bible, that's what some like to throw back, but the Romans and the Jews both testified that Jesus came out of that tomb. There's, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. The Word of God, the Jews, and the Romans testified that Jesus came out of that grave. There's no mistake in that. And because He lives... I can live. You can live. And we're not only living a few years down here, but we're going to live eternally because we put our confidence, we've pisteoed, we've faithed in Jesus Christ. What have we faithed in? We've faithed in His work. We've faithed in who He is. We believe in what He's done, what He's going to do. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's a resurrected King. He is a resurrected King. And then, he said, then she says, I, I said, I knew if you ask, you'd get it. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Now, I want you to notice something. These critics, and most of them, uh, sometimes you get a, a, a preacher who knows theology and nothing about science, and you get a scientist who knows a little bit about science and nothing about theology, and that's a horrible combination. The, I don't care what scientist has said to you, there's going to be no resurrection, or what doctrine, and some of those doctrines are even in the church, there's going to be a resurrection. And that did not start with what some criticize us Christians for, escapism. That's not where it came from. There was no New Testament written when this conversation was taking place. I'm starting to feel this inside of me. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. None of this was written when this conversation was taking place. Listen to what Martha said to him first. She said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. I'm telling you, the Jews knew it. The Old Testament people knew it. The prophets knew it. Everybody before Jesus ever came that believed in God knew there was going to be a resurrection. That ought to put a smile on everybody's face. I'm telling you, there's going to be a resurrection. They may plant you and me in the ground someday. I don't know if that's going to happen, though, because I'm telling you, I'm going to get into something else in just a minute. We're really close. We're really close to seeing the Lord come back. They may, amen to that. They may plant you and I in the ground, but I'm going to tell you something. I just need to really rent my plot. I don't need to buy 
Because we're not going to stay in there very long. And as a matter of fact, my spirit and soul is going to be in heaven already. The Bible said to be present, uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They can have this whole thing. It's about to fall apart anyway. I need a new one, and I'm going to get a new one when the resurrection comes. Now, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. So we know they had resurrection theology before the New Testament was ever written. Now, I've been sharing some things over the years that I think catches the church. Sometimes their jaw drops, and you're all used to it now. But when I tell the New Testament church, communion didn't start with the church. What's wrong with you people? Baptism didn't start with the New Testament. That stuff was going on from the Old Testament all the way through. These are things that Jesus was reestablishing for us to let us know we were supposed to be seeing Him in all of that. The whole Bible's about Jesus in the beginning with God when he created the earth. Everything is about a picture of salvation, the work of Christ, and what he's going to do for us. And so she said, I know. So I know he's going to rise again because we know there's going to be a resurrection in the last day. She knew that, and Paul hadn't even been brought into the kingdom yet. And he's the one that wrote about most of that. She knew it. How did she know it? Because it's a fact all the way through the, the Bible. When this soldier fell in the tomb of Elisha, who was already dead, the soldier was dead, and when he fell in that tomb, he come back to life. That's a picture of our spiritual life. That when we go and die with Christ, can anybody get a hold of this? We're coming out of that tomb too. I'm coming out a new creature in Christ, and I'm also coming out with eternal life. He that believeth on me shall never die. Because I'm just transferring locations when I die. I remember us telling our children as they were growing up, we were stressing them the doctrines of the Lord, and one of them was about the resurrection, about the Lord coming back. We always told that, and we were driving down the road one day, and somebody close to us had passed away. And our little daughter, was in, she's not little anymore, but she was little then, and she was in the back seat. And she started getting all excited. Said, well, that's good, ain't it, Dad, Mom? They got to go to heaven. And I thought, out of the mouth of babes, my praise will be perfected. That's how I see it, right? Hey, if you could talk to somebody you love that's went to heaven and tried to get them to come back down here, you think they'd come back down here? There's no way they would come back down here. I wouldn't either, right? Because they're in a perfect, awesome place that God has prepared she said, then he said to her, now notice what he says. He didn't say, yeah, you're right, there's going to be a resurrection someday. <laughs> he said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Can you imagine this conversation going on? I bet angels were dancing and every, I bet the earth, I mean, I am the resurrection. Resurrection is not some sci-fi concept that they try to bring to us out of Hollywood, some fake thing. The resurrection is a person. His name is Yeshua. We call him Jesus. And the reason I'm going to be resurrected is not because I have the strength or the power, not because I'm good or this or that, because I am in Him. In Him I live and move and have my being. In Christ I shall not die, but I shall live. That's why we have a resurrection waiting on us, because we're in Christ. The grave can't hold Him down, so it's not going to hold you and I either. They said, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So, you know the rest of the story. Lazarus gets raised. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. I want to show you something else here. He gets raised. Jesus is the resurrection. It's a person. You are in Christ, and because you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you don't have to fear death anymore. In Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 1. As it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, he departed there to teach and preach in another city. And then John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? 
Now, some of you heard me sketch around on this. Uh, John the Baptist had already baptized Jesus. He had challenged the authority because he told the, the king that he was doing wrong. He couldn't do what he was doing. And then he wound up putting him in prison. So John's already baptized Jesus. In fact, John recognized who Jesus was when he came. He said, Behold, he announced him to the rest of us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Remember that story? And Jesus said, no, I need to follow through with baptism. This is the Father's plan. So Jesus gets baptized that day after being pronounced the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is sitting in prison. And a lot of preachers have preached this over the years like John the Baptist is about to lose his faith. That's not what's happening at all. John knew who Jesus was. He proclaimed him. But the problem John was wrestling with is because there had been such a doctrine that had permeated Israel is between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, but the Pharisees did. And so Paul believed in a resurrection, obviously, and that's why he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees actually sided with him, even though they didn't like him, because he took up for the resurrection. So when you read the book of Isaiah, there's no question that the Messiah has to die and he has to reign. The question is whether there was a resurrection or not. So when the Sadducees came up and, and don't believe in a resurrection, yet they believe what Isaiah taught, that you've got a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah, then they had to come up with two Messiahs. This is what was called in Israel. And they had lots of schools. Israel's are, Israelites are studiers. They had a dual concept of a Messiah. And so John already knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He'd already proclaimed Him as the Lamb of God. He knew He was the suffering Messiah. What he was probably wrestling with was, are the Sadducees right or are the Pharisees right? Now, they didn't, it, not all of them believed in eternal life, but the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And so they came up with this dual concept of a Messiah in Israel, and it permeated much like some of what you see today that's false doctrine that permeates the church. Like the resurrection's already happened. Everything you read in Mark 24, Luke 21, Mark, or Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, all those things have already happened. Most of the revelation's already happened. There's a doctrine that's really come to life in the church that's telling people that, and on the heels of that, which this, this is, should really help you to understand how false that doctrine is, we're going to get this place right we should laugh. That's your cue. Where's the laugh cue like they have on studios? We're going to get it right, and then Jesus is going to come back. We ain't getting nothing right. We're getting worse. We keep denying God's Word, turning our back on what He teaches, His commandments. We keep accepting anything and everything. And so God is going to send His Son back to set things right. Isaiah is clear about that as well. So false doctrine can get around. It can be spread around by people who have good intentions but bad theology. So John the Baptist asked Jesus. He sends his guys to ask him. And listen to Jesus' answer. He don't say what he don't say is, you go tell John, I'm the Lamb of God, I'm going to die on the cross. He don't even go through that. Why? Because he, John already pronounced that. He knew John knew that. So what he focused on is the other side of the Messiah where the Sadducees had to make two. If you don't believe in a resurrection, but you know that the Messiah has to die and he also has to reign, if you don't believe in a resurrection, you've got to have two Messiahs. And so the Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. And Jesus come back and he says, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Hallelujah. In other words, you go tell John that the same Messiah that's going to hang on the cross and suffer for the sins and the sicknesses of the people is the same Messiah that's coming out of that grave. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. So there's going to be a resurrection. And the reason there's going to be a resurrection because Jesus, the Bible says, in Corinthians, he's the first fruits of that resurrection. He started it. So there's going to be a resurrection. All those people that have died in Christ before us, they're going to be resurrected. They're going to get a new body. 
Now, right now, they're, they're, they're cognitive of where they're at. The Bible says to be absent from bodies present with Christ. So they're soulish man and spirit man, but they're going to get a new body. Now, let me just say this to the, anybody that's watching or whoever gets this, maybe after even we've done gone. Can I say it that way? Done gone. If you get a hold of this, there's going to be a resurrection, and the Lord don't have to do that. He's God. He could just say, have him walk over in heaven and say, here, give that guy a new body. Just go ahead and give him one. He don't have to bring them out of the grave. Why do you think he's doing that? He could give them a body where, wherever they're at. He's doing that to witness to the world that everything he said is true. He keeps doing that. If anybody winds up in hell, it's going to be their own fault. Because God keeps showing Himself, and even during the hardest times the earth's ever seen, the great tribulation, when these graves of these saints burst open, and this person's gone, and this person's gone, and the person who don't follow the Lord is left, and they remember what their grandmother or what the preacher or somebody said, there's a witness. God keeps, because it's not over right there. Let me, let me show this to you before I get any further. There's going to be a resurrection, and the resurrection is going to continue... So, we have the seven years of tribulation, the time that the world's never known. And if you read, and we'll get into all this this fall, when you, this seven years starts and ends, literal seven years off the lunar calendar, 360-day year, because the, the prophetic calendar in the Jewish culture is, is a lunar, not a solar. When you get to the end of this, if you add up all the people who died during those seven years, according to the book of Revelation, about half the world's population will be dead. So let me give you an example. Let's say there are 7 billion people in the world today. Uh, and let's say right here what we call the rapture or the hapogeisometha is the Greek word, the, to be called out or plucked out, snatched out is what the Greek word means. We borrowed the word rapture from the Latin, which is raptural. Nothing wrong with borrowing that. They say the word rapture ain't in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. Hapogeisometha. You want me to run around saying that all the time? I can't wait till the hapogeisometha comes. That's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll be quite atrocious. I can't remember all that. That was when I was a child, right? So rapture is, is in the Bible. The Latins didn't translate it hapogeisometha either. They translated rapturo. And the, the English said, hey, that's a little easier to say probably. Let's just bring that on over. That's how we do in language. So when that happens, the world's going to be plunged into here. So let's say a billion people go in the rapture out of seven billion. That mean, and that's probably a high number. I doubt if it's going to be that many. But let's just, for sake of numbers, let's do that. Leave six billion people left on the earth. By the time we get at the end of these seven years, three billion of them will be dead. When you see the plagues and the horsemen and all that, all the thirds and the thirds and the thirds and the thirds they take, about half the world's population is going to lose their lives. Now, here's the good news. Here's some false doctrine some people grew up around that when the rapture happens, nobody else is going to be saved. That's not true. According to John, the book of Revelation, he said, I saw a number coming out of this great tribulation that no man could, num could number uh, come, that had been redeemed, means saved, right? Out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. The Bible says in, in, in Revelation 14 that the, there's going to be an angel flying around with the gospel. Now, there's another misnomer. Well, the gospel has to preach before the, Lord, before the rapture takes place. No, it don't. The gospel will not have to be preached to the whole world before the rapture takes place. Nothing in the Bible says that. The Bible says the, the, the gospel has to be preached to the whole world before the end will come. The end's out here. There's an angel released in Revelation 14 flying with the everlasting gospel. It says to take it to every nation. Nobody's going to miss hearing the gospel. Uh, Titus said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So we're all going to be responsible. Ain't going ain't to be able to throw it off. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I've been a parent for a long time now. And I'm going to say this, and I've said this a lot lately, but I'm going to make it real loud and clear here. Give your parents a break. You ain't going to blame it on them. You ain't going to blame you're missing heaven. They're trying to figure it out like you are. We're all on a journey, buddy. Jesus loves you. What are you going to do with you and Jesus? Jesus said, you can't love anybody more than me and be my disciple. And that's going to keep a lot of people out of heaven. That one statement right there. Because they love people or somebody 
more than they love Jesus. Quit blaming your upbringing. Quit blaming which side of the tracks are, are, uh, you grew up on. Jesus hung on a cross for you. What are you going to do with it? Amen. Can you say amen? He loved you enough and me enough. It doesn't matter what uh, uh, side of the tracks you grew up on. Jesus died for all of us. Red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in His sight. He died for your sins. Uh, you can blame it and right, as long, let me tell you this, and this is true of anything, as long as it's someone else's fault, you ain't never going to be free. You go look in the mirror and say, I'm here, Jesus, take me like I am, all the baggage I've got, I want to follow you. He died for you. He died for me. So after that, of course, the, the millennial reign. So Jesus, where I'm getting ready to take you, talks to the Jews and the Gentiles. So the church leaves here, and Paul talks about that. And we'll re read that in just a minute. And the world's plunged into this great tribulation. Now, let me take you to Luke 21. In Luke 21, this is my favorite passage for the end of time, just preference. Because of what Jesus does here, he gives us a lot of insight. Luke pinned down some stuff, uh, I thought, I think a little more uh, closer to the Gentiles. He gives the Gentiles some food in this uh, Luke 21. Let's look at verse 10. I, I, we'll get into all this this fall, but let's look at verse 10. Nation will rise against nation. The Greek word there is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic. So in other words, he's not talking about continents or what we call nations. He's talking about, and we've seen a lot of this in the last 60 years, ethnic groups inside of those countries fighting each other. Right? That's what he's talking about, ethnic groups. Right? So you can see that all over the world. These are signs. Right? He's given us signs. He said, he said uh, the ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. And then kingdom is like countries. That's the word basileia. It's the word that's the, the, the charter for our ministries. It's the, the mothership of these ministries we have. Basileia means kingdom. Basile means king. Jesus is the basile. And so kingdom is basileia against kingdom. So that's like countries like Russia, China, America, whatever, against one another. And Canada. I don't know if they got any guns left up there, but whatever. They... And he says, uh, he says, did I just say that? I did, didn't I? And there will be earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Now he said, he's given us some clues about this whole chapter is about the end of time. And he's given us some clues and he's also going to give us some instruction. I, didn't, I can't give you everything, but let me just give you a couple of things here. Pestilence is the word... We could translate plague, diseased. Loemos is the Greek word, and it means deadly, infectious malady. And a malady is unwholesome condition, physical disorder, or disease. An ailment, such as bird flu, AIDS, COVID, etc. So we have all that stuff going on, right? We have that going on. We have ethnic groups fighting each other. We have nations against nations. we got a war going on right now that bleeds into the next thing we'll look at in just a moment. But also these earthquakes. So I, did, I found the earthquake chart, and obviously I'm not going to give you every year, but I brought some significant years, dates to us, that I, th I thought you would like to hear. In 1900, there were 21 known earthquakes. In 1929, when the stock market crashed, there were 77 worldwide known earthquakes. In 1941, when World War II broke out, there were 103. In 1976, these are kind of dates that we all know as Americans, there were 4,282. And what happened after before 1976, 1967 happened. And that'll be important as we go through here. In 2017, now let me read that. 1900, 21, 29, 1929, 77, 1941, 103, 1976, 4,282, 2017, 12,860, 2020, 13,652. Now if you read the book and you watch for the signs, they're easy to find. 
So that chart's just going like that. There's a little variance from a year to but that chart is just going straight up. It's doing just the opposite of what the stock market's doing right now. <laughs> Sad to say. Some trust in chariots and horses, <laughs> but we trust in the name of the Lord. So that, that, that you, you got to really not want to hear the information or be blind to not see. Another one. He goes on to say, he says, uh, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up in the synagogues and prisons. And he's talking to his followers here. And you will be brought up before kings and rulers for my sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. He's saying your trouble is going to give you a platform. Do you hear that? We live in a troubled time. It's our time to shine. It's our platform. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand what you answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which in all adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And that's happened. That did happen. And you will be hated for all, by all for my name's sake, speaking of the Jews, but not a hair of your head will be lost by your patience. There's the Greek word we love around here, hupomene. It was translated patience here. What does hupomene mean? Consistency. By your consistency, possess your soul. Now let me tell you this. That is the challenge. When something out of the ordinary happens, when hard times come, when things get rough, it challenges our consistency. We can't allow it to interfere with it. We can't. We got to be consistent with God. He says, Let by your consistency possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee in the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, all things that are, which are written may be fulfilled. So that's what happened in A.D. 70. Now this is where a lot of people get their theology messed up. He's talking to the Jews, and he's going to talk to us Gentiles, but he's talking to the Jews, he's getting them ready, because they're going to be ransacked by Babylon in A.D. 70. And he says, But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. That's exactly what happened to Israel. You see this history lesson? It was prophetic then. Now it's a history lesson. The Jews were scattered all over the earth. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles fulfilled. You understand what's happening here? This is not something that's going to happen in the end of time. This has already happened. He's talking to Jews while he's talking about the end of time because they're going to be scattered. Do you notice there's a lapse in those kingdoms that Daniel talks about from the head of gold? to the, uh, the legs that represent east and west of Rome, the empire, God showed Nebuchadnezzar this idol or this statue. Daniel interpreted it and he talks about the nations. Now Daniel writes and he says, when he writes about the end of time, he says, I'm going to deal with your people, right? He said, this is a word for your people. He calls it a time of Jacob's trouble. So what happens here when the rapture takes place those that are dead, the graves will open up first. Those of us that are alive and remain will be called up together and meet the Lord in the air. When the rapture happens, the Lord's not coming back to the earth to set up His kingdom. He's coming back to the air for us to meet Him, and we're going to go be with Him. While the world, those who rejected to follow Christ, get plunged into this seven years of tribulation. So since the A.D. 70, the focus of the gospel has been on the Gentiles. That's why Paul, who was a Jew, who was a Jew above all Jews, well-learned, well-studied, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. He was all in. He was so all in that he was persecuting Jesus before he knocked him down and blinded him and gave him the truth. So he, But he turned from his brothers because they had rejected the Messiah, and he said, from henceforth I go to the Gentiles. So the, the, the bride of Christ that goes in the rapture is primarily going to be made up of Gentiles. Okay? There's the, just like the Jewish people with Ruth and different people who came in, God was always will, whosoever will. Ruth came in, she accepted that. And there are going to be some Jewish folks who go in the rapture who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But the focus shifts back to the Jews. Now, how do we know we're so close? We know we're so close. That's why I started putting this... Uh, hourglass up here to let everybody who watches know how close we believe it is. 
the Jews went back home in 1948. Okay? And our, our government was a part of that. In 1967, our government was intricately a part of this. What happened in 1967? From 48 to 67, they did not control Jerusalem. It was still controlled by Gentiles. I am that generation. I was born in 1966. The Jews retook Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1967. That's when the hourglass was turned over. Now, I grew up around folks who said, well, the countdown started in 48. That's not, I don't believe that's when the countdown started. Obviously, 1948 had to happen before 1967 could happen, but the countdown started in 1967. Watch what Jesus says here. When he says to us, he says, when the Gentiles uh, are no longer trampling down uh, Jerusalem, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon, the stars and the earth, the stress of nations. So now he got back prophetically when he started bringing the Gentiles into it. He said they're going to control Jerusalem. None of this is going on at their time. So it's all prophecy. They're in Jerusalem. Babylon, excuse me, Rome had not come in yet. Now the reason Daniel only talks about those five kingdoms and he leaves a big gap, just like the gap he left, he intentionally did, the Holy Spirit, between the 69th and the 70th week, and don't bog yourself down with that, we'll get into that this fall. But don't you miss. So he left out all these Gentile powers because the Jews were not dealing with them as a nation. The reason he brought revived Rome back in, which are the ten toes like the ten kings in the book of Revelation, because that's who Israel, they're back home now. They're a nation again. They're getting ready to deal with that old Roman empire that's been revived. So that's why Daniel left out all this Gentile time, because he was primarily focused on the Jews and what was going to happen with the Jews. And Jesus is mostly focused here on Israel, but he's given the Gentiles a little heads up. He said there's going to be signs in the moon and the stars, and Matthew 24 talks about that. On the earth, the stress of the nation, the sea, the waves roaring. Now, there's no question we've watched hurricanes and stuff get more aggressive, more just the, all the stuff he's saying is happening. What's a famous saying they got? I'm just saying. Everything. Now, before you get caught up in the magnitude, and they say, well, we, we had bigger earthquakes uh, early on because we had an earthquake that made the Mississippi roll, flow backwards. That's not what he said. He didn't say the magnitude of earthquakes. He said they'd be in various places. The word various means distributed throughout. Well, of last or 2020, we had 13,652 earthquakes. How many did you hear about? We don't, right? Because they're diverse places. He didn't say it would be the magnitude. He said it would be that they would be scattered all around. Now, everybody says what the preacher thinks. I believe that's what Paul is talking about. Two things. When he said, even nature is groaning for redemption. The earth didn't plan on all this sin going on on it. Right? God created everything and it was good. So the earth had no expectation. Whatever relationship God has with all the things he's created, they had no expectation to be saturated with sin either. And there's another thing. Everybody says what the preacher thinks. Make it clear if it's an opinion up here. Isaiah said, hell is enlarging its borders. But heaven ain't getting any bigger. It's 1,500 miles square, the new Jerusalem. Why would hell be enlarging its borders? Because it's getting so many people coming its way. And there's an old belief, and I tend to agree with this, that hell, the lake of fire and all that's in the center of the earth. And we know that's how the earth's core is made up. So it's possible that these earthquakes are making room for all the participants that are having to come in to hell. That's just a thought for you. It doesn't matter where hell's located. You can, we can argue over that theology, but it's real. Jesus talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. And he came from heaven, and he went down into the depths of the earth. Remember what Peter said? And led captivity captive because down there was Abraham's bosom and hell, and there was a great gulf between them. He explained to us with the rich man and Lazarus. And he led, now you don't go to Abraham's bosom anymore. 
To die now is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. So we're looking at a, a time where everything's getting set up for us. So the countdown started in 1967, I believe. It says they, he says, they will, men's hearts will fail them from fear and expectation. Those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man come in the cloud and the power and the great glory. Now when these things began, happen, began to, ha- to happen, and we read all these things, look up, lift your heads, because your redemption draws nigh. Everything I showed you, even with the world standards, it's happening. It's all happening. You could say, well, some of that stuff was going on in 1800. You could, but what you cannot say is that the Gentiles still control Jerusalem. That's the kicker. That's why this this hourglass was turned over, figuratively speaking, because the Gentiles no longer control Jerusalem. And the countdown has begun. Now listen what else he says. He says, Then he spoke to them in parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding. You see and know for yourselves the summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. We're there. We don't know the day nor the hour. We don't even know the year. But we know we're in that season. Jesus said when the Gentiles no longer control Jerusalem, that's the kicker for us. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And then he gives us a warning because he's covered so much ground in such a little bit of time. He's cautioned the Jews about what's right around the corner for them, 70 A.D. Then he tells us, fills us in some stuff that's going to be in the last days. And then he gives us some practical instruction here in verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. That's the one that will get most people. Cares of this life. They'll be so pushed around with things going on around them. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the, all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Let me take you back here. So now... That's the only time that we hear Jesus allude to the rapture, right? He just gave us a bunch of stuff that's going to be happening in the tribulation period, in the last days. And he told, he ended by saying, he cautioned us about what we would get called up in. And then he ended by saying, pray that you be counted worthy to escape, not have to deal with these. All right? So that's what we call the rapture, or if you're... I want to get technical. That's what we call the hapogesometa. But Jesus coming back to the earth at the end of this. That's what we call his second coming. And a lot of people's doctrine gets messed up because they don't know the difference between the second coming and the hapogesometa, the rapture. So their doctrine gets messed up. And I, over the years, I just... I, uh, if you want to come and argue with me about Matthew 24 and you don't know nothing else about the rest of Scripture, I don't really have time for that. If you built your whole doctrine on one chapter and you don't remember what Hosea said and Daniel said and John said and Jesus said and Paul said, we can't. There's no way to do that. That's like trying to have a whole alphabet with A and B. If we only had A and B, you know what would happen? Your name would either be Ab or Ba. All of us in here. We just have to pick a gender for one of them. The women are ah, ab, and the men are ba. You don't, we don't do anything that way, right? So Jesus said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape. What? The great tribulation. There's no question we've went through some tribulation. All of us have. The world's been going through some tribulation the last two and a half years. But the Bible calls this great tribulation such as the world has never seen. Never seen. When you lose, uh, uh, just figure to you, when you have start with six billion and wind up with three billion in seven years, the bubonic plague, COVID, AIDS, all of them bind together can't compare with that. There's a day coming when the world's going to be in trouble. But they'll still be able to call out to God and be saved. Most likely it'll cost them their lives during these seven years, but they'll be able to call out. Now, while we believe in a rapture, I shared this Wednesday night, but let me say it again. 
Not only Paul teaches it, Jesus alludes to it here. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15, before I close. Am I running out of time? I didn't wear a watch this morning, so it's bad news for you all. I, I quit early last week. What do you want? Put in a little overtime this week. I'm just kidding. First Corinthians 15, 20. Uh, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Good news. Why? Because I'm in Him. If He didn't come out of the grave, I'd be in trouble. There's no trouble here. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one to his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. And then, he, and then comes the end. See what's happening there? You got a rapture and you got a second coming. And he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father. Then he puts an end to the rule and all authority and power. That don't sound like we're going to clean this mess up. Like some false doctrines are teaching. Sounds like he is. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Can anybody say you who to that? Amen. Amen. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he put all things under him is accepted. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Go to verse 35, same chapter. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and, the body, and what body do they come? Foolish one. Boy, he got hard there, didn't he? Did I tell you there's going to be a resurrection? There's going to be a resurrection. He said, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you will not, do not sow the body that it shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases as to each seed its own body. So it sounds to me like we're going to get something better than we've already had. And that's good news for most of us, ain't it? I heard one guy that's had back trouble say amen like me. These are, uh, he said, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another fish, another birds. There are also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. You know what? If you just think for a minute how... I can't even find the right word. How nothing we are compared to God. I mean, if you just think about a star hanging out there, doing its thing, the moon every day, the sun every day. I mean, photosynthesis every day. I mean, God just big, and we're, we're nothing without Him. With Christ, we can do all things. Without Him, we can't do nothing. We need to put God back on His throne. The world's taking him off the throne in their mind, but I'm like, news for the world, he's still on his throne. He's still the King of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. And he's still God over everything. Everything is under his jurisdiction. He says, he says another glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead in verse 42. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Can I get an amen for that? It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, hallelujah. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and then there is a spiritual body. And He's given us a science lesson here, if we'll listen. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's your Jesus right there. He's come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Can you say amen? He is resurrected so you can live a resurrected life. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, the man of the dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. That's you and me. Inside of us is where the Holy Spirit lives. We're made of the dust. And that's why the Bible says with Jacob and Esau, the elder shall serve the younger. You're born naturally first. And somewhere down your life, you gave your life to Christ. You were born again spiritually. And now this outward man, the fleshly man, who's the oldest, is supposed to submit to the spiritual man, who's the youngest. And then he says, the first man was the earth, uh, made of dust, second man of the heaven or the spirit. And, and as was the man of dust, so also is the man made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 
what Paul say? When we see him, we shall be like him. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now see, Jesus did not unfold to us the rapture. He unfolded to us the second coming, but not the rapture. Paul is the apostle who is a Jew, but is also given the assignment to educate the Gentiles. Because God started bringing us in by the droves, right? Thank God for that. And then he says, he says I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So everybody's not going to die. Right? It's the point of man to die. That's the natural course. But some of us are going to be alive when the Lord comes back. Are you watching that hourglass? We are the generation that saw Israel go home. Check. We are the generation that saw Jerusalem leave control of us Gentiles, go back under the control of the Jews. Check. We are the generation that has seen earthquakes and famine explode. And I didn't mention this earlier, but famine in 2017 took a turn, bursted out upward. There are 44 million people living in famine conditions right now in 2022 in 38 different countries. And if something don't change in the war in a little while, that's going to exponentially get worse all over the world. We have pestilence. We have famines out of control, and they're going to get worse. We have earthquakes in all kinds of places. They're not just in the big places that we look for them. They're happening everywhere. We have Israel, a nation again. We have Jerusalem under their control again. I want to say to you the same thing Jesus said to us in Luke 21. Look up! Because your redemption is drawing nigh. Somebody give him praise. So he said, I show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Why do you think Paul was given that mystery to unveil? Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jew, so he understood Jewish things. We also read, first thing, how Jews knew before the New Testament was ever written that there was going to be a resurrection. She had no doubt about that when Jesus questioned her. She, he said, I, he'll rise again. She said, I know he's going to rise again because I know there's going to be a resurrection in the last day. He said, yeah, but the reason there's a resurrection in the last day is because I am the resurrection. I'm going to go into the grave, and I'm going to come back out of that grave. <laughs> Woo, I'm ready, aren't you? Come on back, Jesus. Come on back. And I, I, we're all probably going to leave some people behind, but leave them enough information. Leave them enough information. Hopefully they'll get on our YouTube channel and look at this message. And they'll say, hey, we better get saved because we got seven more years or it's over. Right? And so leave them with some information. We're probably all going to leave some people behind. But that don't change my love for my groom. I'm going to tell you what. When I got married, I, would, I wasn't taking nobody with me no how when I left with my bride. Me and her went to Gatlinburg. Now I want every... I thought that's the only place you can go for honeymoon, ain't it? We, hey, we had a spiritual experience because, and this is not there anymore, it's sad, but we ate at the burning bush. Moses established that restaurant in Gatlinburg many years ago. <laughs> and that, I'm going to tell on myself, I grew up in Holler. I don't remember ever, my mom's probably going to uh, look at me funny watching this morning. I don't remember being exposed to a charger. One of those big plates that they set other plates on. So this is a nice restaurant. I ordered quail. I'm a quail. See, I tell you, it's a spiritual experience. That's what Jesus gave them. He sent quail. He's going to give it to them to come out of their nose, I believe is what Moses said. But they brought us something, a starter dish, and I, I just started dumping it all on that charger. And I looked around, and no one else was doing that in the restaurant. <laughs> and so I got my napkin. I mean, and I couldn't use it because I'd put so much stuff on there. I had to wipe all that off. I want all of you to go. I want my children to go, my grandchildren to go to heaven. But I'm going whether any of you go or not. I'm going on the honeymoon with my groom. And when he comes to the church... I'm taking off with him. And I hope we're all taking off. Can you say amen? So he says, we should not all sleep, right? 
will be changed in a moment of twinkling eye, for the trump will sound. The dead and cry, the dead will be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, when shall be brought, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, or the Nike. We get the Nike, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to have a resurrection someday. Give the Lord praise. You guys can come to the instrument. I could preach all day, but I'll not. That's why there's going to be a resurrection. Because Jesus Christ has paved the way for us. He went into the tomb and came out. He had no sin. And if I'm in Him and you're in Him, we're going to have eternal life. Now we want to take as many folks as we can with us. You see we're very close. I shared Wednesday, let me just drop this in. The reason I'm so concretely a pre-trib is what they call that. The rapture happens before the seven years. The mid-trib would people who believe that, who are wrong, say that it happens in the middle. Because they get the Jews and the Gentiles confused, so that's why they do that. And then I don't even know how they get a post-trib rapture because you could identify, I, I, I don't even know. I, I'm like that one old time, so I don't know what good it does to go do a wheelie and come right back down. But the reason I'm firmly planted in pre-trib is because of David and Rachel and Leah. Rachel was, was Jacob's first choice, and then he woke up. I'm glad I didn't go honeymoon where he did. I don't know if the candles were all out or what. He wakes up next morning, and it's the wrong woman. That's better than anything Hollywood comes. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you wake up, and it's the wrong woman? He got it because he was a deceiver, right? So he reaped what he sowed. But the Bible says he labored seven more years and got his first choice, Rachel. Same thing God's doing. Not that he didn't love the Gentiles. He, he was bringing us in anyway. But his first choice was a Jew. And they betrayed him as a group. But he's going to take the Gentiles first primarily. And then he's going to work seven more years. Because Paul said in, at the end of this tribulation, these seven years, said all of Israel will be saved. They'll turn back. The ones that are left, will, they'll recognize they missed their Messiah. And David... The Bible says when David became king, he, from, he ruled from Hebron first. The Bible makes an interesting statement. It says everybody that wanted him to be king went to him there. And then after seven years, or almost seven years, he came to Jerusalem and usurped his authority over the whole nation, whether they liked it or not. That's exactly what's going to happen. All of us that want him to be king are going to go to him there. We're going to be in the hoopah or the honeymoon chamber with our groom for seven years, then we're coming back to him, to Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to exercise his authority over the whole world, just like David did. There's more types and shadows with Joseph. Took a Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. Yeah, we go into all that. Uh, then in the famine, at the end of the he revealed himself to his brothers. They recognize it. That's how that happens. In the middle of the famine, Joseph, who's the most complete picture of Christ, the Jews, he revealed himself to them. That's what happens to the Jews in the middle of the tribulation. When they realize the Antichrist is not their Messiah, they're going to flee to Petra and all that stuff because they're going to have their eyes open to the Messiah. Let's stand to our feet. I want you to get as educated as you can with this stuff. Uh, you don't have to believe everything I say from this pulpit. You can walk out of here and be wrong. I don't care. I'm teasing. Just back it up with Scripture. And you know, if, I don't back, if I've got an opinion, I make it really clear. But we're living in the last days. And, and Paul said, we need to be ready to give a man an answer for the hope that lies within us. Why aren't you freaking out? we got pestilence, disease, earthquakes, stock markets, all kinds of crazy stuff, wars. Why are you still happy? Because I believe in the resurrection. I believe my Lord's coming back. I believe my groom's going to pick me up, take me with him. I believe. I've hung my body on it. My mind has seen it. My soulless man's seen it. My spirit man's come in agreement with it. And I'm hanging my body on it. I'm living. I believe. 
I'd like to be like Abraham. I'd rather die believing than live in fear. But our belief, sure, steadfast. The word hope for in the New Testament is elpistus or elpizo. It means hope without a question mark. Not because we hope for a lot of things that don't happen, right? That's a natural man. But in the spirit realm, our hope's in Christ. That's why there's no question mark. Whatever you put in Christ is secure. Father, we thank you for this moment. We're ready. We want to be ready, Lord. We want you to equip us. We're living in the last days. Let us not bury our head in the sand like an ostrich. Let us be alert. Let us get ourselves educated with your word so that we can give hope to those who feel like they're hopeless. Let us stand for the truth and believe just like the guys that Jesus was talking to in Luke 21 and many who lost their lives. But they stood for the truth. They believed. We believe in your resurrection. We celebrate that. And we believe because of your resurrection. If we die, we will be resurrected too or else we'll be called up together to meet you in the air. This altar's open. If you're lost this morning, you don't know Jesus, you're watching, get in front of your television. I'm not going to make you repeat after me. Just tell God you're a sinner. Ask Him to forgive. It needs to come out of your heart. You don't just repeat something. It needs to come out of your heart. Hear the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Whatever your need is in this congregation, this altar is open. You can pray on your own. We'll pray with you.